Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. The northern part of this country is kind of in peril. It's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? It should, should be noted. I've never seen the Bureau of Meteorology issue advice to a whole city just to stay home. Sydney, just don't go out. Yeah, um, well, we're used to it with COVID, but not yeah. because of natural or unnatural weather no. things happening. Good luck, Sydney. Good yes. luck, New South Wales. Um, we're going to have um, a segment. I'm going to work backwards, actually. That's probably the okay. best way to do it. Duncan Buchanan. Winemaker. Winemaker extraordinary. Yes. Yes, that's him. Uh, we're going to have a quick chat to him because uh, we were wondering out loud with all this rain yep. and the talk of um, vines still being or fruit still being on the vines, mm. whether that's going to affect vintage up there. You mean the Hunter Valley? Indeed. Not that mm. any Victorians drink Hunter Valley wine because we are incredibly parochial when you really think about it. Don't, do we? I haven't had much Hunter no. wine at all. no. Because you're not, you're not in the premier state, mate. A lot of Victorian wine, a lot of South Australian wine. Yarra Valley. see a lot of... You might have the odd... I'd say maybe the odd Margaret River red. Oh, of course. Or Cape Lewin, if you can afford that yes. uh, art series shardy. Always very nice. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's funny. We As Victorians, we don't drink a lot of New South Wales wine. And that's a parochial expression. However, mm. uh, we're going to have a t- chat to Dunk... Because it's always a good excuse to have a chat to uh, Head Plonker. Yep. Um, so we're going to talk to him. Ben Krauss. Ben Krauss. Does your father own a brewery? Well, he does. <laughs> and uh, it's in the beautiful town of Beechworth. And uh, we're going to talk to him very, very soon. Do you know that um, hops? Hops that go in beer. Hops that go in beer? Yep. What's their gig? Uh, they They... Provide the bitterness. Yeah, and they also keep it from going off. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, it's um, preservative. Yeah. Preservative, and also adds the bitterness, as you yes. say. But uh, normally, you know, brewers either palletise them, dry them, um, do that sort of thing to them. I know there are a couple of wanky brewers who grow their own, and that's... <laughs> did you say wanky brewers? Yeah, wanky brewers. Boutique brewers. <laughs> Can I take? Can we just rewind? Can we just Let's rewind? This you want to just reassess that thing? <laughs> Boutique brewers, like Chris from Sadler's Grove, for instance. Yes. Uh, so uh, there is an event that's called the High Country Hop, and we're going to talk to uh, Ben Krauss. Yep. Um, about that, it's going to be a whole marriage of uh, beer mm-hmm. and food and booze, and the idea is that. With the hops, you can get them fresh, but you've got a very small window to use mm. fresh hops mm-hmm. in your beer, and apparently it makes a difference. We're going to talk to Ben about that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, nice, nice. We've got a guest. <laughs> Which is still a novelty to have an in-person in in guest. We've it's like, oh, my God. We've got a guest in the green room. So T- cool. Tim and uh, Cantor busy talking to him because it's like, oh, my God, there's someone in the green room that's not us. <laughs> um for those that may have tuned in late, uh, mm. we have not seen uh, other human beings other than the broadcasters. Let's face it, we didn't see Tim Thorpe for bloody months. No. Uh, as since last March, I think, was the last time we had a guest in studio. Yes. And i got to say I'm delighted to break this chat by <laughs> announcing that we have in the green room 
Carlo Grossi. Yes. Uh, yes, that Grossi. So, son of Guy. Yes. Um, part of the uh, the family business of uh, Café Florentino. Grown into the family business, you might say. Indeed, indeed. Was subsumed by it. <laughs> you could say that too. Uh, but he's got a book. Yep. So, I said, come on in. Yep. The book is called Ombra Recipes from the Salumi Bar. Which is a very nice little spot if you haven't been top of uh, Burke Street. Was that in, Swanson? Indeed, it is, mm. and uh, it begs the first question: What is salumi, and the difference between salami and salumi? And I'm going to mm. leave that hanging. Mm, that's okay. a bit, that's called foreshadowing. Right. right? Do you like that? Answers on a postcard, please. Foreshadowing. Uh, we do need to move on quickly because I want to get to Carlo soon because he's got to uh, get back to the office in Burke Street. Briefly, though, you've been cooking, as anyone who follows you on Instagram would be aware. Hey, nice, nice intro. Yes, I have. I've been turning Japanese. Yes. I really think so. Uh, okonomiyaki. Beautiful dish. Means uh, as you like. How do you... Sorry, I cut you off. It means as you like. As you like. Yaki is the fry bit. Okonomo is as you like it, and yaki is fried. And Kent was telling us if it's a restaurant that has those things, it's a you or a yeah. 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 So if you, if you see okonomiyaki, yeah. Yeah. It's an like, okonomiyaki restaurant. We'll shop. Do, we do for you. Or ramen ya is ramen shop. Yeah. So I learned something here today. Yeah, well, that's what Kent's like, isn't yeah. it? You know, he is, he's an erudite fellow. Uh, but I have uh, done a Pretty good okonomiyaki. Um, was it yesterday? Yes, it was. Hmm. Um, it's on Instagram. If you want to have a look at it, Cam Smith eat it. It's a fairly simple process. You've got to have a couple of ingredients, though, to really make it work. Hmm. One is okonomiyaki flour, which uh, has a bit of a, um, a starch, a, a root starch that's in there that makes it a little bit more gummy and bind than just flour. So you couldn't use plain flour? You've actually yeah, got to get the... Could, no, you could get away with it, yeah. but to make it authentic, you, you, you should probably yeah. go and get that. So Chinese um, shop for that or uh, mm-hmm. Asian grocer for, for that one. And uh, what else do you need for that? So you've got the flour... That's pretty much it. It's but the the thing that's uh, that's a little bit scary is flipping the thing over the first flip. <laughs> I've, I've got to say, uh, but it's um, a delightful dish. Oh yeah, that was the other thing I was going to mm. say. Okonomiyaki sauce. So if you yes. see okonomiyaki, you'll see it as a pancake. It's a cabbage pancake mm-hmm. with things in it. I put Chinese um, sausage in there. Yep, and prawns. Yep, which was awesome. Really good. Um, and uh, what else? Some pickled ginger, although you really should have the red ginger in it. But you need to do this sort of lattice of sauce when you finish it. Yeah, that's right. So okonomiyaki sauce, it's just steady hand. You just do lines. And then kewpie mayonnaise going the other way. And then some bonito flake and seaweed. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it is. It really is. Goes well with a beer. And the other thing that I was doing, on oh, as I said, you can check that out on Instagram, Cam Smith, eat it mm-hmm. for the recipe and the whole thing. But I've also worked out an awesome dish if you like heat and you like seafood. Mm. Um, I was doing some chili prawns the other day. Actually, it was chili and scallop because I didn't have enough scallops, uh, uh, prawns, and I dragged these scallops out from the freezer as well. But it was how did I explain it to you? It's really you cook off your seafood for about 30 seconds, put it yep. aside, and then you just add ginger and garlic 
Yep. Slow with some oil. Don't burn. No. So medium heat and it'll burn and quickly. And a wok or a frying pan. Yeah, exactly. Edge. Move it around. And then pre-prepared, you have a mixture of um, sriracha sauce. Yep. Brown sugar. Yep. Soy. And water. Sriracha, brown sugar, and soy. Yes. Yeah, so, so you've got so your heat. Heat. Uh, sweet. And salt. And salt. And then you must put some uh, lemon in it. The end in a cup of in about a cup of water. Mm. So once you get to the stage where the garlic and the ginger is not burning, not burning, otherwise there'll be tears. Yeah. Then you add this liquid, and you reduce it until it becomes this glaze, this really butch, salty, hot glaze. And I also put a little half a teaspoon of habanero and some chilies in there just to make it a little bit more. And then right at the end, you just mm. toss that off for about. 45 seconds, so about you, a minute. So, so you, you whack the prawns back in. Back in and those scallops. And then garnish with a little bit. What did I put on it? Uh, sesame seed and a little bit of lemon, which was good. So that is an absolute ripper and it's uh, a good thing to have in the repertoire. Yes. Is that on Insta as well? Not yet. No, not yet. I might, I might put that on. I think I didn't know there's a chilli. Yes, I think there's a chilli prawn recipe a few weeks ago, so look mm-hmm. back, and you can probably see that. Now you were lucky enough in the before we get to Carlo to uh, to get to Gimlet. Oh yes, yeah, so I was off last week, as you might have known. I wasn't here, mm. um, and I was off for a special reason. It was my birthday. Happy, happy birthday, oh, man! Thank you. Yes. Um, and yeah, I had uh, my first experience at Gimlet in the city, which is newish. Andrew McConnell restaurant there on the corner of Russell what and Flinders. Yeah, it's the old Druid's house or something. Cavendish house. Cavendish. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's super deco. Look, I, I, would, I said I texted you after I said, this is the best dining room in Melbourne. You I did. It is. You did. I thought you were drunk. Ex- well, I was. Yeah, you were. Because <laughs> hey, it was like, lunch, it was right? five and you were still there, which <laughs> we, I thought we, was awesome. We had two tables. We got kicked off yeah. the first one. Went some, but no, it was, um, yeah, extraordinary. Contact your bank manager before you go. It's not. It's not cheap, but for a special event, it's is, ouchy. It is ouchy. Ouchy. Um, but what an exquisite room, my lord! It's so good. Can't wait to see it. I'm, I'm still got to get in there. And I have one other quick thing just to flag with you, dear listener, and you, Cameron. Me is, too. Yes. You know, it's just good when um, good people do things together. So mm. coming up in the next couple of months, I just noticed on my email one of my favourite restaurants in Victoria, which is Masons of Bendigo. Nick and Sonia. Yes. Anthony. Um, they're doing just a special dinner with Alice Zaslewski, who you might know from this show or all of the yes. other TV and radio she does. And she's released last year a really good book called In Praise of Veg. One of the best books of vegetables written. It is very good. Yes. Um, and they're just doing a collab dinner on May the 6th, um, which could be really, really good. And it's quite, quite well priced at 85 bucks for the banquet. And you get Alice talking at you about what you're eating. I think it would be mm. worth checking out. So and, just, you get, um, and you get to go to Mason's, which I think is the oh, best contemporary restaurant in Bendigo. It's amazing, isn't it? And you get the train up there and do it. You so, can. Boom. That's good. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. One of the great institutions on the hill of Burke Street is a place called Cafe Florentino. And the great thing about this is it's been under the tutelage, um, under, well, hmm, it's, it's been part of the Grossi family since 
1999, where it said that it was uh, it was bought for uh, for an amount then, and it returned back to what it should have been doing: great Italian food that is accessible with a great greeting and humility in the service, and that's uh, that's a big thing that's done that. And one of the great joys and the honour that I have in doing a radio show for a while now is to be see the generations come and grow into their roles as being part of this great institution. And as I say, I've been able to see um, young Carlo Grossi grow up within the role, within the family, and take over uh, parts of, of the business and, of course, most notably the place next door to Florentino, a place called Ombra. And we're going to find out what Ombra means because it is my absolute delight to welcome in the studio a live guest, someone that I can just look across at, a real human being, and say, good afternoon, Carlo. Buongiorno. Oh, my God. I'm melting. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lovely thing to be able to reconnect with people again, oh. isn't it? <laughs> it is so good because we've been so distanced and, and so apart during this year and we were uh, talking about when we'd seen each other and I remember we had a brief time between the lockdowns and I remember uh, I'd come into town and I'd bumped into you and you had a tape measure and you were measuring the distance between tables, were you not? Well, we've got to make sure you're covered safe to reopen and all that jazz. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild ride, hasn't it? I mean, it's definitely one of those things where you come back to reality and you appreciate community more than ever before yeah. and that sense of uh, belonging together, you know what I mean, where you can actually come together at a place like Ombra or you know, a wine bar or even just at a cafe and actually have a cup of coffee and talk to the person opposite you and hear the, the chatter of people around you. You don't realise how much you miss that. Or, or just to get an idea, communicate with eyes with someone. You know, where you, you talk and you make a point, you'll look for confirmation, like I'm looking at you right now. And instead of your yeah. face freezing on a Zoom meeting... Yes! Carlo, <laughs> no, can you yeah, unmute? Yeah, yeah, can you unmute? <laughs> unmute, mate, unmute. Or maybe, or maybe you just mute me anyway because yeah. you get sick of hearing me. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to a music track now. Yeah. Um, Florentina was uh, taken over by the Grossi family in 1999. Taken over, it sounds hostile. Yeah, it was. It was like, hey, we're going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Get rid of the... Yeah. Was, was it the Podgornics that you... The pod, yeah, we bought it off Lorraine in 99. Um, Lorraine, it was, it was always, uh, you know, I think my, the, the legend that uh, we have in our family is my grandfather was brought over um, from Italy, from Milano. He was recruited by a, name, a man named Mario Vigano, who... Mm was Mieta O'Donnell's grandfather. Vigano. Vigano, not, yeah. Not Vigano. Okay, I'm still learning pronunciation. <laughs> Vigano, thank he, you. He yes. had a place called uh, Mario's around the corner on Exhibition Street. Mm. So my grandfather landed in Melbourne. This was boys. part of the, the first spaghetti mafia they used yeah, to be called. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was uh, themselves, uh, Mario... Oh, who was in there? There was Liam Sony. Uh, the Masonis, yeah. A few, a few different people. Anyway. Uh, Mietta's, uh, Mietta's relations. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, um, they picked him up from the airport and they took him for a drink. And they took him for a drink at the cellar bar at Florentina. And he sat there and he said, one day I'm going to own this place. And everyone said, oh, you're an idiot. Uh, uh, slapping him on the listen back. Listen to you, you stupid malaka. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know. A generation later and a little hard graft, uh, we were able to 
you know, get it before he passed on. And, you know, the rest is history. We, we, we love the place. And like you said, it's sort of, you become, we, you become more of a custodian of yes. a restaurant like that. You know, Absolutely. It's almost 100 years old. It's a big part of Melbourne. A lot I, I of people just, have their, their, their biggest memories there, you know, mm. and uh, you you share in lots of different events, whether it be anniversaries, birthdays, you know, commemorations, celebrations, and commiserations it's a very, too. Commiserations. Yeah, it's yeah, because it's, it's a very special. It's place. a part of the it's part of the joy and sorrow of life. Correct. And how old were you when um, it was first taken over, and this dream I think was realised? I was probably about twelve. Around there. So even before teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Teenage years. Yeah. And what were your first memories of going in there and um, hanging out? My first memory was going in there and cleaning spinach, to tell you the truth. <laughs> what? It was, it was like your dad remembering about yeah, cleaning yeah. artichokes, yeah, you know? Yeah. It, so, was, uh, yeah, it okay. was actually, it wasn't cleaning, it was blanching, so you had to plunge the spinach did you into stand ice on cold a, water. Did you stand on a fruit box or yeah, something like yeah. that? Well, yeah, I was probably still, I'd not hit my growth spurt yet, but I'm still waiting for my growth spurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, my hands were very cold plunging the spinach into uh, ice cold water, but you know, it's like a lot of people in our industry, where once you get involved with it, once you start this crazy journey, you, you, you tend to get it under your skin and you think mm-hmm. in your formative years, I'm going to do everything else other than this, but then you, you, you fall in love with it, you know, and it's something yes. that you just you just enjoy being in a space and you hear the clattering of, you know, plates and glassware and people chatting and, you know, you can feel the hum of a restaurant and you feel like, my God, this is where I want to be. And what about the rhythm of the day? The rhythm of the day is... It's like, that's a big thing yeah. in restaurants, isn't sure it? Because, you know, it's coming in and you're having your first coffee and there's, there's all these punctuation marks of a day. Yeah. You know, like for if you're back of house, it's like, um, okay, coming in, writing the list or referring back to the list of your mise en place that you have to do for the next day. Uh, that's meaning get everything organised so... You yep. don't get in the shit. Um, <laughs> we um, can say shit. Well, uh, uh, that was sorry. It was. It's a gratuitous thing. Um, the it, guy in the corner is freaking out. We, we, could, we could say so. You're not in the. You're not in the weeds. Yeah, yeah. That in was the weeds. that was Bourdain said it yeah. uh, in a in a in a nice way. But but then you know the things like service, and then the first people coming in, and then. You know, the main courses have all gone out and then you to the dessert section and... The day definitely has its punctuation marks and, you know, I think uh, at the end of a, a long day it's a really satisfying thing mm. when you do have that sort of last guest roll out, especially at Florentino upstairs. It can get quite late with sort of menus and people enjoying the hedonistic lifestyle that comes with, you know, dining like that. Well, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, when the last guest rolls out, it is a really beautiful thing to see people's smiles on their faces and, you know, that sense of camaraderie, especially after the last year we've had, it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. So it's undeniable this, uh, this, this industry has gotten under your skin. Tell us a little bit about Ombra and how the genesis of it and how it came to be. So and what does it mean, too? Ombra literally translates to shadow in Italian. But mm. uh, in the north of Italy, um, where my grandmother comes from, you know, there's a saying, andiamo por ombra, which means we'll go for a little drink. Oh. And if you look back at the history, a lot of the wine merchants, um, especially back in the old days, they would have to, in the market squares, they'd keep themselves in the in the shadow of, like, the, the church spire or the town spire. Oh. 
and as like the sun would rotate around the spot, uh, around the move they'd move with the with the shadow, so that way their product wouldn't spoil. Yes. So it's become like this uh, convivial little um, word that kind of means a little a little drink. And you know, traveling through Italy, I always find the greatest like amazing restaurants in Italy, of course. But you know, for me, the greatest expressions of hospitality are always those little bars, the baccaros. All the places where you know you drop in and they're kind of open all day. There's little snacks throughout the day, and you have a, a glass of wine. And a wine is never without you know a little plate of prosciutto or a little stuzzico or a little cicchetti, as they call it in Venice. Say that word again. Cicchetti. Cicchetti. Yeah, it's their like Venetian dialects for little little morsels that they have. And there's one of those chapters is the cicchetti in the yeah. in the book that you've just brought out, which is a reflection on this. But when did Ombra open again? Ombra's almost 10 years old now, actually. On, on, on November, it'll be 10 years old. And can I say, I've often said it to you, I think it's one of my favourite fit-outs of a restaurant. We did it on the cheap, but we did it really well. Yeah, but it's stylish. You know, well, that was the brief with the architects. It's like we didn't want to... Haven't got a lot of money. We don't have okay. a lot of money, and we need it to look amazing. And they, uh, Mills and Gorman were architects, and they rose to the occasion. They, they picked out some really great bits and pieces, and... We gave a mood board of different shots from um, a trip to Italy and, you know, one thing would pop up and then a photograph would be taken away yeah. from the board. But but this place, uh, if you haven't been to Umbra, it's uh, a couple doors up from uh, Florentino and I love the walls. I love the, the cement walls on the place and there's a upholstered area that's just above about shoulder height. Um, beautiful brown leather and these great antique lamps. It's a comfortable space. It really, really is. And tell me uh, this book, how it reflects that space. Well, I think, you know, the, the one thing we wanted with the book itself was to have a lot of texture to it. So that was uh, very much something in the mandate. We organised it so, you know, it's a book that you can cook from. We kept the spine very flat so no matter where you open it up to, it will always stay open. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, and that's one of my favourite fried. Cut chocolate. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing about, you know, the book that we've got, it is it is not so much a recipe book but more of a guide. You know, the pickling section, you know, we've used certain recipes for certain products but you can really apply them to anything. You know, if zucchini flowers are going out or zucchinis are going out of season, you can get them in and preserve them with the recipes that we've got and you can keep them for the next season. The whole thing about Ombra is that it is about that beautiful idea of Italian food, the snack, the convivial thing where you sort of are able to welcome in people um, into the home as well and, you know, supply them with a myriad of different things. Like think about a table laden with antipasti when people arrive and a gold, cold glass of Prosecco or Lambrusco. There's nothing more welcoming than that in my book. Makes you know? me happy. Um, and I think that's one of the things we really want to get across with the whole story of Ombra. There's, a, there's, a, there's recipes in there, there's stories about when we opened and what we were trying to achieve. And, you know, it's all about the, the, that sense of working in the Italian vernacular. And, and even the music playlist that the music is so, <laughs> that's so important about it. It um, is indeed. If you haven't had a chance... Go to Ombra and uh, they can tell you the difference between salumi and salami. We may take, maybe we might tell you at the end of uh, end of the show. Carlo, thank you for coming in. You're heading off to the the shop now. You got a function on? Indeed, we've got a big event on. So, well, can you say uh, please my regards to the family? 
Oh, please. It's a delight to see you. It was an absolute honour to be, and I'm very happy to be your first guest off the first cab off the rank. Bravo, <laughs> bravo. Grazie. Uh, this is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. And uh, using the uh, the miracle of the modern telephone, we're going to have a sh- chat now to Ben Krauss. Ben Krauss is the uh, founder, the head brewer, uh, the man with a vision in Beechworth for Bridge Road Brewers. There's uh, an event that's coming up. It's called the High Country Hop. We're going to talk to him about his beer, his vision, and the idea of hops that aren't dried. Ben, a very, very good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. How'd the Martin biking go? Yeah, good. Uh, made it back in one piece. It's quite muddy today. So there's been, been uh, rain on the trails. So yeah. I've just had a walk in the creek in Marysville. We should we should all be listening to the blues, muddy waters. Could be yeah. quite quite appropriate around the uh, the joint. Um, how long have you been at, or how long has Bridge Road Brewers uh, been around for? Uh, Sixteen years. Sixteen years. What was the the landscape like for drinking beer in those days? Yeah, it was it was a bit of a, a lager desert. Lager desert. Thank uh, you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yes, it was. Is this a Carlton draft I see in front of me again? Yeah, it was basically heavy or light was the option where I came from. Yeah, and uh, I I used to to you might think less of me, but because I hated the profile of a lot of those beers, I used to resort to the to the lime cordial. Yeah, yeah, do something about it. I, I was the same. Like, oh, good, good, I, good. I grew up on the beer and then uh, went away, saw other beers overseas and, and came back and thought someone had changed the beer, but it was just the same as it always was. And and thank God we've got to, the, uh, to where we are now, uh, where there is such a variety of beer being created by just four ingredients. It's, it's an amazing kaleidoscope, isn't it, that when you tweak it, you can get so many different variations and flavours and sensations. Yeah, it is, it is really interesting. Obviously, in the, in the craft beer world, there's more and more ingredients coming in, but a traditional beer made with uh, water, mould, hops and yeast, mm. uh, there, there's so much to choose from in, in all those spectrums, so you really can create any flavour profile you like. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you are doing a um, uh, the thing called the High Country Hop, and the and this um, harvest celebration is built on the idea of we have this this agent that grows on trees that has these flowers that impart a great bitterness to the beer, but also in healthy happenstance help to preserve it and. Uh, Mostly we see it dry, but you're going to uh, have a... Okay, I'm going to pull out the thing, quotation marks in the air. There they are, celebration of fresh hops. Yeah, that's true. We're, we're, so Bridge Road Brewers is located in Beechworth, which is in the northeast of Victoria, um, and it's home to, I guess, one of the few remaining viably commercial, commercial viable um, hop plantations in Australia. This is um, so Ross, large, Ross Trevor? Ross Trevor and yes. and uh, and there's been a, a huge growth in in the hop oh. industry in, in Australia on the back of craft beer. 
Um, and we really, you know, being being right nearby the, those hop fields, we like to get behind the the actual celebration of the harvest of the hop, and and we make beers at this time of the year using hops directly from the hop vine. So they're they're wet, usually hopped to dried and turned into a pallet and and stored in foil bags in in freezers or cool rooms so yeah. that they're they're well preserved. Yes. Um, and we make we make one lot of beers in the year where we go to the hop garden and collect those hops fresh and green. Um, and we have our own little, a bit like a wine vintage for, for brewers, I guess. We have our, our own little period in the year where we can make these beers it's with like, the freshest possible hops. And, it's uh, like Beaujolais and, Nouveau. Yeah, that's it, exactly. <laughs> I've actually, in my former life, I've done two vintages in Beaujolais, so I know the, yeah, I know no, the thing well. The, the hype about that and get the uh, get that bottle of wine to, to London. Um, well, that's uh, Pet Nat these days. Yeah. Pet Nat on the shelves already from this year's vintage. Yes, Yes, can you just give us a little, a bit of an idea? Tell us a little bit about the hop. The hop is, uh, it's a vine, as you say. They grow really high, don't they? I mean, to set up yeah, the, so the trellises are super high. Yeah, like five metre high trellis. Um, they they die back completely over the over the winter to just the root bolus. So perennial. Um, so you, you can uh, mow, mow, yeah, and mow completely over the top of them. The closest most people know would be a raspberry. When you see raspberry um, that grows and you, and you can prune it back to nothing and then the next year it'll grow back up again. It's a bit like that. Oh, okay, um, yes, yep. And it's very vigorous and wants to grow straight up, so it grows to five metres high without any trouble. Um, and it produces a green flower that has uh, yellow uh, lupulin glands. Um, it's very resinous and there's essential oils in those glands that um, are really aromatic. Um, so... Hmm. So aromatic craft beer would often smell like tropical fruit. It could yep. be passion fruit. There's one that smells like coconut that's popular at the moment. Um, and it's those essential oils with the aromatics that we're really keen to get in the beer. Um, more in the past, particularly the, the beers of the old lager desert that we talked about, they were just chasing bitterness. So they just wanted <laughs> to get a, a, a bitter profile from the hops. And new school, I guess, craft beer and, and newer beer varieties are steering away from bitterness and looking more towards the aromatic automatic, aromatic side of, of the hop profile. So and, and low probably... bitterness and... And big flavour. And probably to cut, uh, sorry to cut across you, but uh, we haven't got a huge amount of time, but I remember the, one of the first times that I really uh, stood up and took notice, or sat up and took notice, because I was in the studio at the time, uh, was uh, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale with that incredibly tropical hop that they used, and they forgot to copyright. Yeah, well, the, the hop they used is, uh, is Galaxy, so that's, uh, <sighs> that's the hop we're using in our, our wet hop beer, so it's... Uh, it's it's sort of the the pinup girl because the hops are uh, <laughs> yes. female flowers. So yes. the pinup girl of uh, of Australian hop varieties. Galaxy is the one that's being exported all over the world. Um, Stone and Woods uh, been extremely successful with it, and it, and it's used in most Australian craft craft beer breweries. You would most people would be using Galaxy in some way or another. Well, I tell you what, it's going to be a fun time. Tell us a little bit about the uh, when the event is on and. Uh who you are collaborating with. So the event is on next weekend in Beechworth. Uh, we invite all the brewers of the high country, so uh, Bright, uh, Croft in Mount Beauty as well. Uh, we invite the guys from Dinner Plain, from Mitter. Um, we also have Sailor's Grave. We, we have some guests from out of region, so Sailor's Grave from Gippsland and Range from up in Brisbane are coming down for the event. Oh, the um, Brisbane. So, uh, 
Brisbane people. Sorry, I'm cutting across you again. Brisbane people are coming, and you've got uh, those uh, the Orbos crew coming with uh, with Chris and Gab. That'll be uh, that'll be great. Yeah, they do amazing things, so it'll be it'll they, be great to have them along. We're going to make a beer with them when they're here too. So. Oh, good. send my regards to them. There is also going to be music, and uh, we noticed that Triple R's very own. Uh, Neil Morris with Dreaming Now is going to be part of the uh, the celebration, along with some, well, something that I found interesting was Cy Trance with Lee Senior, but lots of music and lots of beer. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be an awesome weekend. We're we're always uh, happy to to host people from from the Big Smoke up in Beechworth, uh, and this festival will be a, an an awesome weekend and a great celebration. How do they find out about it? Uh, the High Country Hop. .com.au will, uh, will get you there or look for Bridge Road Brewers and you'll, you'll find a link from yeah, our website. There's all those links there. Well, look, um, Ben, lovely to meet you on the phone. Look forward to meeting in person one of these days soon. Good luck with the festival and uh, may that beer, the brew, be true. It will be good. I'm enjoying one right now. I've just uh, downed half of it after my ride, and I'm going to finish the other half once I get off the phone. Mm, that sounds good. We, <laughs> we would love to be here too, but uh, <laughs> with some other time we might be able to organise that. Thank you so much, Ben. Cheers. Thanks for your time. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Duncan Buchanan, our our sage of wine, our our grower of Riesling. Yes, yes, yes. I'm doing very well, gentlemen. How are you guys? Uh, We just had a guest in the studio. It was awesome. Carlo Grossi dropped in. He's got a book. He's got a book. I heard that it was good, and I, I don't know. I missed the um, I missed the interactions in the studio. in the studio. You, you know, you just missed the booze. <laughs> well, there's no, that there's too. There's plenty of that, mate. I, yeah, good. I, I'll let you know on a little secret. I don't wait to get in the studio to have a drink. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you mean you don't only do it here and. In East yeah, Brunswick? I've, I've, I've been seeing others, Cam. I've been playing up on you on Matt. I do apologise. Damn yeah, you. Can't, can't Damn your eyes. You're going to make me cry. Um, hey, Duncan, and, ben, and Ben Krauss, what a, just quickly, Ben Krauss, what a beauty. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I, you know the thing I like most about that? What? Krauss rhymes with grouse, which is one of my favourite <laughs> words. <laughs> You're easily satisfied, Buchanan. <laughs> Krauss is grouse. <laughs> well, the, the, the simple and so is life, ghost. And, the, the simple things in life... Are, uh, satisfied the simplest living things. That's true. And, uh, that's, uh, that'd be me. That'd be me. <laughs> uh, look, I, I take a leaf out of that book too, so don't worry. We are uh, uh, a couple of LMIs here, which is like-minded individuals. Duncan, uh, we've been referring back to you because you are our wine sage and we've been talking mm-hmm. about how we've had with the La Nina events that we've seen uh, certainly up to this week, We've seen long, steady ripening here in the south of Australia, meaning Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia. Not quite sure what's happening in uh, Western Australia because we haven't spoken about that. But it's pissing down up there. That's uh, up in the Hunter Valley. Um, and, And the question I sort of went to you with was, how much fruit is still in the vines up there? Uh, short answer, and the the very good news is not very much, wow. if any, at all. What's with the feedback? Are you guys getting that feedback? Is that us? Is that us? 
Well, I, I thought it sounded like someone needs to put some oil on that bike chain, mate. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm still at the I'm still at the forum last night watching watching Orb. It's all the feedback. Oh, yeah, that's that's it from those SGs. <laughs> um, but no, if um, if, if so there's any fruit, fruits off. I, I would be yeah, I'd be very surprised to think there was anything left on the vine up there. Like when you think about, it, they're a fair way north, so they're fairly warm, mm. and they'll be one of the first. Um, you know, one of the first of the regions in Australia to start picking. But so if but if there were to be fruit left on the vine, that could be absolutely catastrophic. Ah, uh, be it'll be fruit salad by now. Um, but you know, it's a funny old thing, and you know, we were sort of ruminating about that at the top of the show. The fact that wine can be a pretty parochial expression, and Victorians don't drink a lot of Hunter Valley wines. And in fact, I can't remember having a something with Hunter. Valley on it, Hunter River Valley on it for ages. No, they do. Hunter Valley does pretty well out of, um, that, like you said, they're par- fairly parochial yeah. uh, we, the, around the various states. So, yeah. and people, they do pretty well with um, people from Sydney. It's a, it's a fairly, it's relatively close to Sydney, a couple of hours yeah. drive, I guess. And um, so they do, they do well with the, um, you know, the, the tourist and, you know, day tripper sort of scene. Whereas, and it, yeah. makes me, it sort of brings out how lucky we are with Melbourne because within one hour, I mean, if you draw a 100, 100k radius um, circle around Melbourne mm. and you'll be able to take in Ballerine, Geelong, Macedon, Keithcote, um, what else have we got around there? Uh, Gisborne, which I'd be... Macedon, I guess, and uh, Yarra, Mornington. Mm. Uh, so you've got all those all those regions within an hour. With you know the, the closest one to Sydney is um, would be uh, Hunter, which is a good couple of hours away. <laughs> Sucks to be in New South Wales, eh? Yep. Sorry, I was just being gratuitous there. I couldn't couldn't. Help. It's the same with good. truffles too. Tru- yeah. The, the yeah. truffles in winter. So. Um, Luckily, then, um, even though the area, and I'm, I'll, I'll stop being really, really flippant about this, um, yeah. New South Wales is, uh, was facing a weather cataclysm at the moment. Exactly, uh, and it, I, 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 my mind did turn once we once I, was, once I saw those reports up there. Yeah. And I, thought, I thought, okay, the grape growers probably dodged the ball. Now my mind turned to other forms of agriculture that might be, may have been impacted, and there's. Principally, there's nothing to get washed away, so to speak. Like it's all a lot of grazing and cattle up there, so that that doesn't involve so much, you know, uh, tilling up the soil, which yeah, you may end up losing a fair bit of topsoil if it has been freshly turned. But you're going to have some really soggy and pissed off cows, I reckon. You know, they don't. I don't know if you've had a good look at a cow late, but they're not the most aquatic of beasts. No, they, they they need to evolve those flippers. Yeah, exactly. I devolved back the other way. Oh, back to, back to why the am I thinking of a Gary Larson cartoon? Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, I think just overall that you don't you don't that amount of rainfall in that amount of time is not good. Full stop. You know, there's yeah, yeah. you know the people who are who have setups on top of hills they tend to do fare better because the water will run away from them. Yes. But if you've got if you're living you know somewhere downstream, so to speak, down the valley. Yeah, exactly. It could be in a lot of trouble. Like, some footage, some people's house got washed away. How's this for bad luck? Some people's house got washed away on their wedding day. Oh, I, I saw the image, and it was one of the most startling images of the year, to be yeah, exactly. quite honest with you. Just this weather, weatherboard house. Did you see that, Matt, floating down the river? I saw the headline. I didn't see the picture. Oh, it's a, it's, it, was a, it was a crazy <laughs> picture. 
exactly as if you be, you know, you're, you're worrying about your, your drunk uncle being inappropriate at your wedding day, and then your house flies past. Like the, uh, the drunk uncle is going to pale into insignificance, really, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you were talking about other things that might be affected, and, and there was something that um, came to my mind. And uh, that would be oysters. There's, there's a whole bunch. We, we're talking about the Hawkesbury River around there. And yeah. the whole gig of an oyster is it's a big filter. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the same as mussels. But uh, once you inundate that area with a whole bunch of fresh water, I don't think that's going to be very good for the oyster leases. No, no, and especially if that water's quite turbid. Like I've never grown an oyster in my life. I've eaten plenty for sure. But, uh, right. but, but I think if you, go, if you go throwing muddy, muddy and... Uh, rainwater over the top of that. And, do it very dare, well. and dare we say, use the E word, the E. coli. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. don't even start. There can be hmm. can be a, a huge amount of implications there. So, yes. I mean, so but I guess it, maybe it's just a, a byproduct of that La, La Nina year. I mean, yes. it's still it's a, that very wet, but it's all, you know, with the way the climate's going, it's just seem, all these things seem to be on roids now, don't they? Everything's just been turned up to 11. Yes. Yes. Um, it, it, um, a question without yeah. notice, Duncan. Uh, right. And uh, this is one of those things where you go, oh, I don't know. Uh, is uh, do you know uh, La Nina? Uh, is it ameliorating? Is it um, is it uh, on the down shifting or? Yeah, they, they, we're thinking it may sort of dissipate a bit as the year goes on. It's not like a short, sharp twelve month cycle, but we think it's at its peak now. So maybe a bit, you know, maybe a little drier next year. Mm. Um, so oh, that's cool. we don't, right. yeah, we, yeah, I think we shouldn't have these you know, catastrophic things going on, but it's still having an effect on what we're doing here. I've still got Chardonnay sitting on the vine that, you know, would have been, ordinarily would have been picked. I've only just picked my Pinot, which is two and a half weeks later than I've ever picked it. And the lowest sugar that I've ever, ever picked it at. I mean, it's been, it's been gorgeous for that sort of thing. But you, when you look at the weather we've got coming up this week, mm. you know, it's kind of drizzly, kind of warm, mm. kind of beautiful for moulds to grow. So we just need to, you know, <laughs> as we do, keep our fingers Sorry. crossed and our, and our eyes skyward and just pray, pray it all goes the way it, it should. Uh, just to, uh, for those who haven't listened to Duncan much over, over, the, over the time, Wine at the uh, sorry, water or rain at the the end of the ripening season is a very very bad things for the for the crop because those sort of things uh, encourage mould. Well, what you tell me, what sort of things do do you, do you look out for? Well, you I mean, in a lot of regions now, you'll have your especially the the smaller regions or well, those regions that I mentioned before around Melbourne. People will net their vines, so you, that you can't get in there and access it with a tractor. Hmm. So you may you may be um, at risk of getting various moulds and mildews on your leaves when it gets too hot and if it's warm and wet. But also the the fruit itself can rot. Um, so if you get a big rainfall, the, that water can get into the soil, sucked up through the roots into the berries. Hmm. The berries can split, and then you've got all this sweet juice sitting there. Burst, the juice juice will burst all over your, the rest of the grapes. You've got this sweet juice sitting there, and it's just a magic carpet for a whole stack of different moulds. Yeah, sorry, that again, snort was again, me agreeing with you. So, the, and this, to, ain't, this ain't no noble rod, is it? Well, it's not. It's got to be. There's some pretty specific conditions if you want it to be noble rot. I, I, no, I said know, this. This isn't noble rot uh, at all. No, it, no, it isn't. Because no, not at all. The, the great thing about the noble rot is that it doesn't split the skins. It covers the whole skins and dehydrates it from without. Is probably the best way to describe but try no, to yeah, cinerea, yeah. Well, 
That, that's exactly it. You'll have the botrytis in the rear to be the spores. They, they, penetrate, they penetrate the the grape and they just suck the moisture out, but leave the um leave the juice behind, leave the sugars behind, mm. and uh, that can make some spectacular wines. But it's very very. Oh, it's a very, very special set of circumstances that, that will make that happen. And you'll end up with the, the grapes end up looking like little sultanas. Mm. And in some, in some uh, regions, I'll go through and pick those berries off the bunch individually, leave the bunch on there. They might do, you know, half a dozen passes through the vineyard, just picking individual grapes off bunches. Wow. Hence why you're going to, oh, it's just so laborious. Is that you know? why um, Shadow and Chem so expensive? Exactly. And, you know, some of those stickers you get from, um, the uh, Rheingau, there's just you know so much so much work goes into um, picking those uh, pick, yeah picking that crop. It's just it's incredible. It's just it's just the labour involved in. And when you think about it, if you if you've got that grape off the vine, you try to squeeze some juice out of it, your yield per you know ton of grapes is going to be super low as well. So you've got huge labour costs going into a very small amount of product. So of course it's going to be very expensive, and, and as a happy as a happy byproduct, they're bloody delicious too. <laughs> you know? They rock. <laughs> you know? So that's why you we know, make blue know. cheese. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. You'd hate to go to all that work and then from the taste shit house, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh man, no, all that work and they're terrible. You <laughs> would feel ripped off. Duncan Buchanan, <laughs> uh, my man in the vineyard. Thank you as always. It's always a delight to speak to you, and we're going to see you in the yeah. studio soon. Yeah, I hope so. And when they, look, as I, when they do open up the studio and let us guests in, I will bring in some lovely fizzy wine. We can celebrate and sit there and drink responsibly till the cows come home. It will be fun. <laughs> Can't wait. Thank you, Duncan. Good on you. Bye. See you, boys. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.